Welcome to the Shallow Dive on Koheles, the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us as we explore the treasures gathered by King Solomon. I hope you enjoy it. Pekyud Pasik Test, chapter 10, verse 9. Masia Avonim, one who queries stones. Bohem will be saddened or vexed by them or through them. That's the first parable. The second parable of the verse, Bokea Eitzim Yisachen Bam, one who chops trees will be either warmed through them, be able to use the firewood or endangered through them. A logger is a dangerous business. Not, not a, an occupation without its risks. So either the two are parallel or they're being contrasted. Of course, we need to examine all the angles that we can. The Shirin Panamotero, many different perspectives and King Solomon is a a master at conveying various ideas through parables. So we looked at some of the commentaries on this already last week. I want to examine the Medrash on this verse. So this mean that one who carries stones, I'm just looking at... Aquarius. Aquarius. I'm just looking at Rashi. Is it that they will not? That they will get taught, They they will get. They will give up. Well, he would be worn out through that. Worn out. It's, okay. a, it's an exhausting job to hew these stones from the, the mountain, whatever, wherever he's getting them from. So the Medrash says, "Masia avonim yeotsev bahem mi she masia." Atzmo mitalmudo, one who removes himself from his learning, his learning of divine wisdom. In the end, he will be pained. He will find, he will search for a vessel, for some, some tool or some garment. He won't find it. The divine wisdom is is there for his needs. It's, it's the instruction manual for life. And if he takes himself away from applying himself, the Ase Katara, to toiling in discerning divine wisdom, it's going to have a consequence, Lasof, in the end. Apparent, apparently, it's not necessarily immediate, maybe in the short term. He won't be bothered, happy engaging in other activities, but in the end, it will be a source of a pain. He's going to need something and won't be able to find it. He's going to be at a loss for the divine wisdom, how to confront any challenge that comes his way, and life is full of challenges, if he's not applying himself to diligently seek out the divine wisdom, He's going to be at a loss. 
the Medrash says that the pursuit of divine wisdom is similar, learning from a Rebbe, is similar to harvesting from a fig tree. A fig tree, it doesn't all ripen at once. You have some fruits ripening early, some a little bit later, some a little later. It requires a diligence to keep at it, and the fruits accumulate, but it is not one big payload at the end. So divine wisdom requires the constancy, the hasmada, the gisa of amyom to apply yourself day and night to the toil of the divine wisdom, and that is how the fruits come in. So if somebody takes a hiatus, he may not, may not immediately notice a problem, but eventually it's going to be a source of consternation. He's going to be at a loss. He's going to need something and not know what does God actually want in this case. In contrast, the Medrash continues with the second part of the verse, and one who chops trees will be, Medrash is learning, warmed by them. All the while that he is working, chopping, he's going to benefit through that. This is in contrast with the first part, where the taking off from the limonatayah, from applying himself to glean divine wisdom, that has consequences later on. Maybe he'll enjoy the party that he attended, fine, but he's going to miss, at some point, the divine wisdom that he could have gotten instead. Not that a person should never go to a party, but the idea that Ramam says is that a person needs to be judicious, try and apply themselves not to even lose one night, he says. It's, it's important to recognize to toil in the Torah day and night. No, no, no one can afford to, to sit on their laurels, I've got enough, and now I can coast. No, no, that's, that's never the case. In contrast, over here, the application of oneself. The, the chopping the wood over here is being compared to the source of warmth. And it's not only at the end. Of course, when somebody chops wood, he's going to have firewood throughout the winter season. It will be a benefit at the end. There is no question. But all the while that he's toiling in it. I've never actually chopped wood professionally, but I have cut down some wood for a sukkah. It's, you can get warm when you're working oh, yeah. at it. Oh yeah. So you don't actually need to be taking that wood, curing it, and then burning it months later in the depth of the winter, right. you can be quite warm in the process, and the benefit is immediate. When a person is applying themselves to learning divine wisdom, the benefit is immediate. It's, it's, not, it's not a direct parallel. It's asymmetric. The benefit of asekatera, of applying oneself to gain the enlightenment of God, is immediate. All the while that he's toiling in that, he is benefiting. So that's like chopping down wood? That's right. But he is warming himself up right now. How is that not different than a quarry? You're warming yourself up too, right? Well, the, the, the parable of the quarry is that he's... When he is... That's, act, that's actually a good point. We're not looking at... I mean, the, exercise is exercise, right? Correct. The body temperature is going to elevate. We're not comparing the two on the basis of, 
of warmth or, or body temperature. That is correct. The first parable is, is a little bit, perhaps more complex even, that it's a little counterintuitive because what we're talking about is, is not the warmth or not warmth. We're talking about somebody who is... What is he doing in the parable? He's, he's sweating away, like you're saying, toiling to get these rocks off the mountain mm -hmm. somewhere else. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I used to live in Sanhedria. There's a park there. It's uh, on the outskirts of ancient Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And you can see where there used to be that rock that yeah. has now been quarried and probably somewhere, you know, the, the Western Wall or something like that. You know, yeah. it looks like those type of stones. So it was a big job to get it off of the quarry and into wherever they're going to use it. That's a huge exertion. And that is compared to somebody who is slacking off from his learning. So, so the, the parable is actually somewhat startling because he's working hard. Right. And yet, that's called somebody who is, is moving away from the toil is it, of studying the divine wisdom. Is it the outcome part? The fact that when you chop trees, that there's an immediate outcome? But when you're schlepping rocks or whatever and quarrying, like, it's not exactly an immediate, like, you don't know whether or not the thing that you're trying to chip away is actually going to help build something. I'm just trying to understand, like, how that act is different than chopping down wood when both are technically a job, right? Yeah, both a job, correct. It's just different ways to say a story. The, the the one is saying that uh, is focusing on if you you can get immediately knowledge as you chop you chop your wood and then future knowledge as you burn. That's that's mm -hmm. the parable. Contrast the other parable that has nothing to do with that future knowledge. You know, as you you get warm as you cut, you get future warm as you burn. That's that's right. that's the parable. The, and, and the first parable is a little different. Is, is like I was saying, a little bit kind of counterintuitive because the one who's querying the stones. Another point that we should mention: can't do everything at once. But notice the contrast: avonim are plural mm -hmm. stones. Who are the stones? The Medrash is saying Mishim Masia Atzmo himself. The stones represent himself. When he takes those stones out of that mountain, out of the quarry, and schleps them somewhere else, and all that toil, he will be saddened, he will be vexed. He's taking himself away from the connection to divine wisdom, to the divine. We, we can connect to God by learning and absorbing God's wisdom. That, that is how we can connect. So what we talk about, like literally, you look at the tombstones, Verse, let his soul be bound in the, the rock of life, as it were. The rock of life is God and his wisdom. If a person takes the stone out of the quarry, he's taking himself from his connection. That rock was connected to the mountain. Now it's out of the mountain. So he's engaging in his toil to remove himself. Because we're compared to a rock. In this parable. In that parable. According to the Medrash, the person who's taking out those stones is taking himself. So, so over here, 
the surprise is that Avonim is plural, and yet it refers to himself. I, I think that that highlights the nature of the self. A person, by applying themselves to gain the knowledge of God, will have a share in building up and molding himself to be in alignment with that. That is, the, the divine wisdom of Torah is not a simply academic pursuit, but it is one of, of self-refinement. The Torah is, is a guide of divine wisdom, how we are to make ourselves godly, and that's done bit by bit. So he is the collection of stones that he is removing every time that he is slacking off. He's pulling a stone away, as it were, from its source. And that is, is a collection of stones. It's, it's not an all-or-nothing proposition. So we have the, the parable of Avonim, of many stones, representing himself. He molds himself and shapes himself bit by bit with the assimilation of divine wisdom into his being. should be nivla bevar, is the, the term that our sages use, to be absorbed in his limbs, like in his, to, to assimilate it, that he should become a, a living exemplar of what God wants for humanity to, to fashion himself in as much as possible, the image of God. So that happens bit by bit. That, of course, will happen by keeping, as it were, the stones connected to their source. And in this parable, when he schleps them away, he drags them away, severs them from their source and moves them away, he is going to feel the loss at some later point. The perhaps surprising implication of this, if you want to compare the parable to the, the actual process, the process of not applying yourself diligently in the study of divine wisdom is really easy. He could just find many other things to do that could be leisurely, doesn't require so much work. Querying is a hard job. Mm-hmm. Like you said, he's going to be sweating away. Mm-hmm. So to equate the two is, is a remarkable thing. Mm-hmm. So on, on one level, we have the teaching of our sages in Pekalvos that says that one who removes from himself the yoke of the Torah is actually simultaneously taking upon himself the, the burden of Derechertz and Malchus, or Malchus of Derechertz, the, the burden of the world, the burdens of worldliness. So those burdens are actually being foisted upon him by his dereliction of Talmudar, of applying himself to, to the divine wisdom. If he is not doing this, yes, you might say, well, he's just relaxing. And of course, there are times to relax. I mean, in the sense that he's, he's being, uh, making a choice that is really not the right choice. That's what we're talking about over here. And in such a case, it, it looks like it might be the easy path. It might be, you know, the, the path of least resistance, maybe. It's harder for him to apply himself, but actually he's taking on heavy burdens by doing so. He's, it's like he's working in the quarry. That, that itself, he's taking on the old, Malchus, old Eretz, the yokes of, of, uh, of work, of work in various menial senses, of less import. Not really of, the, of the making of man, but just kind of the, the small fry stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, in Kemach of course, that's true. Right. We need to, to make a living. This is very important, of course. 
but the the more critical components to the development of man within the image of God, those elements, if he slacks off of that, he's going to be more heavily burdened with the more menial aspects of what we need to do to take care of ourselves. Right. And and therefore, the parable is is right on. It, it is hard work. Even though it sounds like he's taking a break, it's hard work. Also, I think it reflects an element of human nature, like the prayer that we recite upon embarking in the study of divine wisdom. Classically, we say, We are toiling and they are toiling. Why are we so sure of that? We say, we are toiling and they are toiling. We are toiling and will receive so much goodness for it. They are toiling and will not receive so much goodness for it. If people are toiling in something that is not of value, they're not going to get goodness out of it. But the point of this of this supplication is recognizing Adam Man was created to toil. Man will toil. One way or another, man is going to toil. He is a human being. He's going to toil. If he chooses not to work in this area, he's going to work in that area. He's going to find something to be busy with, mm-hmm. one way or another, even if he finds, so to speak, elements of leisure. He wants to be, you know, uh, even in the Spanish sense, right, where there, there's a, a, a almost like a uh, an aversion to work, yeah. the nobles have to do something, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be some work, whether they're working on the hunt or this, that. The leisurely activities are going to require... You know, to chase a ball around so that you learn how to do Yeah, well. right. So run, run before the bull, after the bull, whatever it is, is going to be some serious work and some serious sweating, and that is unavoidable. That is the lot of man. In a healthy sense, we are here to work, and we're going to work no matter what. So if, if he's slacking off over here, he's going to be picking up some work somewhere else inevitably. It's just not going to be worth it. He's going to lose out. He's going to feel some loss at some point when he doesn't have the, the divine wisdom that he really wants to have and he should have had at a future point. Continue back in, the, in this medrash, it explains the translation the medrash is using. If Yisachen will be warmed by them, the support for that is Aich ma'da'at omar usihilo sochenes. This is an unusual translation. The Medrash is aware of that. We saw the Ben Ezra doesn't like it. It says, It means endangerment. He's, he's engaging in, in uh, chopping down wood. This is dangerous. That's a simple interpretation. The Medrash is taking another tack and it, as it were, is apologizing for that by giving an unusual comparison. Sochenes, referring to Avishag, who warmed King David in, in his old age. The word Sochenes is the same letters as Yisochen, the same root word. So, be warmed is the usage the Medrash is preferring to elucidate over here. And, and therefore, that's like we said before, he, he will be warmed at the time that he's chopping the wood, and he will derive the benefit of that warmth later on. That does not preclude looking at this parable also in the way of other commentaries, like the Ezra says, as referring to an element of danger. There is an element of danger here. Mm. Even if we take the train of thought that the Medrash is on, that this is a parable about 
applying oneself to the study of Torah, that doesn't mean that it is a risk-free proposition. There are elements of danger. But what can, one can also learn it with the translation, instead of sochenes, of, of a warmer, of bringing a source of warmth from the chopping of the wood, but also as a source of danger. And in fact, we find that that's a drusha. Adam ki yomus ba'oel. A man who will die in the tent. The tent is, is a metaphor for the tent of, of divine wisdom, of divine learning. A person can die in the process, as it were. Adam ki yomus ba'oel. The Torah is fulfilled in one who brings himself to death over it. That is the Talmudic teaching, which needs explanation. It's, it's a somewhat shocking teaching. What does that mean exactly? person who dies in a tent? Here, I'll, I'll read it inside. Uh, it's, okay. it's in Brochus Samach Gimel Mebez, 63b. Dom Rish Lakish, the name of Rish Lakish. From where we derive that the, the words of Torah are not established, brought to life, literally, other than in one that brings himself to death over it, as the verse states, Zos this is the Torah, the teaching of, the enlightenment of, Adam a man who shall, when he shall die in the tent. That is, that is the teaching here. And the Rambam does incorporate this into the laws of Talmud Torah. See how he speaks about it in chapter 3, paragraph 12. The words of Torah are not established in one who does them in a way that is weak or half-hearted. Torah requires full engagement. To be successful in Torah... It's, you could say, a contact sport. I don't know what you want to call it. It requires absolute engrossment in it. It's not something that a person can do kind of a little bit on the side as a hobby here and there to really have the full assimilation of the Torah into their being, to be makayim. That, that requires full immersion. Not among those who just learn from a state of pamperedness, eating and drinking, rather, it's fulfilled and established in someone who literally kills himself over them, who, who kills himself over them, and is willing to suffer physical deprivation. He doesn't, he does not give in to the, the pull of sleep and slumber. He pushes himself to learn the Torah. As our sages said, as a hint, This is the Torah, a man who shall die when he dies in the tent. The, the, the Torah is only fulfilled in a person who kills himself in the tents of wisdom. That, that's the uh, interpretation over here. So, on, on some level, there's a risk over here, a danger. We're talking about somebody who's diligently chopping that wood, acquiring the wisdom of Torah. And Tartamira says sometimes it could actually lead to such a thing 
the the degree of of deprivation could sometimes be even endangering, not that it's supposed to be, but we find, for example, Hillel, he didn't have a lot of money, he was actually a woodchopper, and he gave half of his earnings for the entrance to the base medrash. Snowy, snowy storm was coming in, he couldn't get in, he went on top, and he was trying to listen to the discussions in the base medrash from on, on top of the of the roof. And that that was a dangerous thing. It had to be Machal Shabbos. They had to desecrate the Sabbath in order to get him off of there when the snow came in and, and, and covered him. So that's that's an element of danger that can happen. Not that a person should endanger themselves, but there, there is an element here of Sakana Kipshuto. Okay, it's a Misachim by him. There's an element of danger on some level. I would say that there's an, 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 another perspective of this that when somebody learns something, they are obviously filtering whatever the Torah is saying through their own lens of perception. Everybody. That's our nature. And that lens doesn't always lend itself to a perfectly undistorted interpretation. People see things, they say rose-colored glasses, right? People have the way they perceive things can can be impacted on their context, who, who they are, what they are perceiving based on their experiences and, and what they've collected until this point. The ability to actually perceive the Torah as it is requires a person to homiletically kill themselves, to try and undermine any lack of objectivity. Just drop any negis, any preconceived, it's got to be this way, it's got to be that way. What does God have to say? What does God have to say? That is the question. And take yourself out of the picture. Consider yourself as it were dead without any uh, negis, any uh, preference any preconceived notion, uh, yeah. no hypotheses. You don't have a hypothesis. You're not anticipating this is the result. The result is whatever the result is, but you're searching genuinely for the truth. Mm-hmm. I think the best way to do this is to see when, you know, the writing, at the time of the writing, what it meant for the audience. So, you know, something that uh, we listen as we like you said, we have a, this this lens. But if you if you listen to when it was written, the context in what it was written, and the the meaning that the people that lived at that time understood, I think that was be the first first interpretation, because because you know it was written at that time for that audience. And, uh, you know, then that's the very, very basic chat. This, this yes. straightforward, simple interpretation will be, like you're saying, contextual to that era. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in Chumash? You have chat in Chumash? Of course. Yes, it also has implications for all generations. Exactly. The, whole, the holy Tanakh, the holy writings from, from the five books of Moses through... The, the, the entire 24 books of Tanakh, they're all written for posterity because they have meaning for posterity. Mm-hmm. There are other prophecies that didn't make it 
for us. They were relevant to the person who received it, to other people in that time, but it didn't make it. We don't necessarily yeah. hear that echo. But like you're saying, yeah. it was directed to those that were present, and we get to have some meaning for it as well if it was recorded for us. So that's a- another element that if a person wants to really harvest these trees, which we can, for this purpose, consider that as it were the tree of life, is the parable of the Torah, of the divine wisdom, we need to underwrite this risk. Be willing to give up something that you might hold dear, but less dear than God. God has to be the most dear thing in the, in the universe to you, to accurately access and harvest properly this the the lumber as it were that will warm you the the eitzim there needs to be this element of yisachin bam which implies that a level of threat not the person should god forbid endanger themselves in in a, in a simple sense but in in the sense of being willing to give up that that is critical to successfully harvesting the the wisdom of the Torah. Amen. I believe that. I would suggest another Dog. element here. Oh, okay. That we have a phrase used by our sages, a curious phrase, of those who have made the wrong interpretations and wrong conclusions of the Torah. And the terminology is Kotzeit Spinatios. Acher, for example. Alisha Benavuya. It's an example. Literally, that means chopping the plantings. Now, planting, a sapling, is a young tree. And this is the parable of him falling off the correct path of divine wisdom. He made erroneous conclusions. He was, at one point, fully immersed in the Torah, but he was kotzeit spinatios. He harvested saplings. And this was his, his downfall. What is the idea over here of, of harvesting? The tree is a growing entity. The words of Torah are compared to a tree. A tree is a living entity, and it continues to grow. You have responsa from ancient times to modern times that are all working within the framework, organic framework of the Torah, and you can have new examples, new modern contexts that the, the ancient wisdom can illuminate correctly, organically. That is a growth, as it were, like a tree. From, from the acorn to the huge tree, there, there is a development, although everything was contained in the initial seed. So there is a growth, legitimate growth within Torah. Harvesting those trees, the element of harvesting, working on this parable, is a point at which there is a fullness of the crop, of, the, of this tree, where it now is ready for application. Now you're going to use this for firewood, whatever you're going to use it for, for lumber. 
when you're taking it from the realm of growth to the realm of use, that would be similar to learning the Havaya Sabaya Rava, the back and forth Talmudic uh, dialectic. And then there's Psak. Psak actually means to cut. It's a conclusion. If somebody reaches a conclusion before they are ready, before the tree has grown adequately, they're harvesting too soon, in a certain sense, they're going to get it wrong. That's Kotsait Spinatios. That's chopping, harvesting the saplings. That's what Acher did. This is a, a terrible flaw and a danger. Okay, but it's Misachin Bam. There is a danger. There is a risk. One, when one is coming to a conclusion, one has to be careful that there is a danger if one is harvesting what should not be harvested. If something is unclear or unresolved, that's okay. You can leave questions. Not everything has to be resolved. Continue to steep in the wisdom of God and let it develop within yourself through the application, the genuine application, and don't harvest unless it's ready for harvest. Don't come to a conclusion if you're not ready for a conclusion. Yeah, even even God told Job, I cannot tell you things that you know of heaven because you're not gonna understand. Yeah. I think that was in Job, right? Says. I don't recall offhand, but that certainly Basically, is, yeah. is a sentiment that, that is uh, echoed. He, cannot, he doesn't have to explain everything to, to Job of what was going on, you know. Right. So that, that could be another element of this parable. Working with the more simple usage of the word Yisachin as an element of danger through the process of harvesting the trees, which is the, the source of benefit of divine wisdom. There's a story that highlights the, the tragedy of the first part. Uh, I won't say the person's name, but it's somebody that lived in the 20th century. Brilliant, brilliant individual. And he studied under some of the greatest leaders of generation before him, of his times. And then he decided to make some changes and he, he did so against the advice of his teachers. And his connection to Torah weakened. Unfortunately, there's a story of many years after he made those choices that he came to visit one of his teachers. And the teacher asked him, what are you studying? And he said, this is what I'm working on, kind of not like he used to, but this is the area that he's working on. So he asked him some very challenging questions within that discussion in the Talmud. And he said, these are good questions, good questions, I, I don't know, I don't know. And then the teacher proceeded to tell him 
a brilliant exposition of how to resolve these challenges, various branches of, of how to understand it, and he was dazzled. He said, that's amazing. He said, you don't remember? You gave this explanation. This is your Torah. You lost it. So that's the terrible tragedy. He's searching for his vessel and he can't find it. Even if he had it, he lost it. Was his error in not taking the advice of his teachers or in his thinking? He changed. Probably both. <laughs> okay. He changed his way of learning. Uh, okay. uh, he focused on different things that may not have been as important. Right. As is what they felt he needed to do. So yeah. it's it a very big deviation that, that had consequences. Yeah. So Baracko 63b gives the um, the uh, exposition on Ki Yamut Ohel, the um, person they die in the tent, referring to a tent of learning. And that's explaining this um, Pusik in Kohelet where it's a cane bomb. Correct. I'm presenting that as a possibility. I didn't see anybody say that. I do see, obviously, it is a parable of King Solomon. Some of the commentaries use the parable as the word in danger. That the, the first part and the second part uh, are, are more parallel, that they're not describing the contrast of the Medrash, but they're two facets that are much more closely aligned, they will be vexed or he will be endangered within that framework of the Medrash, looking at it from a perspective of a application of oneself to Talmud Torah, to the study of divine wisdom, and suggesting one can also learn it, not just as Medrash does, with Yisachin Bam, of warming oneself, but also endangering oneself. Be willing to suffer danger in order to acquire Torah, like Hillel did by going to... That, that, on, a, on a physical sense, or also more in an existential sense, to be willing to give up whatever he feels connected to because he's, he wants to be more connected to the actual divine wisdom. Yeah, amen. How can we do this? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The question I had was, um, where does that phrase come from? Kiyamoka Ohad. That, that, yes, that's correct. That is a verse in uh, the Parsha Paraduma. Parsha Para. If, if one strengthens within themselves the love of God so that they will not be as attached to inconsequential things that could cloud their judgment as they are trying to perceive the wisdom of God. It's, it's a, a lot harder to absorb. What was the expression before it, that it should be in your limbs? Oh, nivla bevara. Absorbed in his limbs. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot more challenging to, when he says absorb it in the limbs, to me that's what, right... Yeah. In your actions, it's so a part of you, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like no problem. We we want to. I, I owe him the end of this measure. Yes. So yes, we want to. The few minutes we have left. Thank left. you so much. <laughs> the last part of the medrash. Masia avonim mimakom lemakom yotze b'hem uvokea etzim yisachem bam. The Medrash is now focusing 
on the conclusion of the verse, one who chops wood will be warmed by them. Alma Rebbe Miyashio in the merit of the two choppings that our patriarch Abraham chopped down for the pyre, for the sacrifice of his son on Mount Moriah. He merited to have the sea split for his descendants into 12 strips, 12 breakings, as it were. So he broke, chopped down two logs for the sacrifice at the binding of Isaac. Ended up being the sacrifice of the ram, but what he intended through this chopping was to overcome The, the most difficult challenge of his life, this is preparing the wood to destroy everything, as it were. His life in this world, what, what remained of it, his posterity, his world to come. He, he was willing to give everything up. He, I think he's willing to give everything up because he knew somehow that uh, Isaac would come back alive because he was promised that was from Isaac. Right. Yeah. How that would be resolved? He didn't, he didn't know. He didn't Correct. know. Correct. But he had the faith. It says, I don't know. What God said is true. That's he right. says true. I'll do what he said. I'll kill my son. But I, he had the faith that uh, right. Isaac would be coming back with him. Abraham believed that. Abraham believed that. That somehow it would be resolved. Correct. Yeah. Even though it was supernatural. Yeah. And it didn't make sense. It was not a logical expectation by any means. But, but just if, if God said that there will be continuity yeah. through Isaac, somehow it's going to be. And in a similar vein, that is what happened for the Jewish people standing by the sea. There was no way out. We had the Egyptians behind us. We had the sea in front of us. We got the command. Keep keep going. Go straight ahead. This this was a, a death march at face value. What are they doing? The, the merit of him chopping down those two logs that seemed so hopeless, so much of a dead end, but he had the faith that this is what God said to do. How it's compatible with God's promise. He didn't know, but he's going to forge ahead with what God said to do. His descendants derive that strength from him. He is our patriarch. Bonov. Zoha likara hayom libonov. His children gained that from him, and they merited to, to have a path of life, 12 paths through the splitting of the sea, which in itself is a fascinating idea. How do we get from 2 to 12? Right? There's, there's an, an element of expansion over here. There's a, a further development within the service of God. The, we have the patriarchs, and we have 12 tribes. Each tribe has their own 
unique forms of divine service that are all mutually supported, but they're not homogenized, they're not identical. They are distinct, but all geared towards the correct service of God, just like in their encampment around the tabernacle. They are equidistant, each one in their formation around the tabernacle, all faced, geared towards the center of the service of God where the divine presence dwelt among them. That development from the Av, from the patriarch to the 12 subpaths that are all broadly aligned together, focused in the same service of God, each with their own distinct angle, as it were, that development was facilitated. They were, they were given that path to do the impossible, to follow through, to, to survive, to have God bring about the salvation through their faith, one step at a time, into the water. The water didn't just split and say, okay, is it all open over there at the very end? Now I'll dip my toe in. No. They went in, and it only split right in front of them. Each step, they required this tremendous faith that if this is what God said to do, this is what we need to do. We don't need to be, be concerned with anything else. There's no other considerations. This is what we derive in the merit of Abraham being the source for this rock-solid devotion to God, without any other considerations, no chachmas. That is what the Jewish people merited to have the strength to go forward into 12 bekios, 12 separate pathways that are all sharing the larger path that Avram initiated by chopping that wood of destruction at face value. He's chopping this wood to burn his son. He did it. He went ahead. The Medrash speaks about the splitting of the sea. A verse, before he gets to Medrash, it says in Capitol Kufyodala, chapter 114 in Psalms, The sea saw and fled. What did the sea perceive that it fled? We're talking about the splitting of the sea for the children of Israel. The Gemara Sota that you give Aleph, we find We find that the, the Gemara mentions Moshe Rabbeinu was busy trying to fulfill the promise that Joseph extracted from his brothers to take his bones out of Egypt when they left. He had that faith. He knew God's promise is good. How did he know where to find the bones of Joseph? The daughter of Asher, one of the twelve tribes, Serach, she still remained alive in that generation. Moshe went to her. Do you know where Joseph is buried? It's time to leave. We got to get Joseph's bones. Where is he? She said to him, The Egyptians made for him a metal casket, and they buried it in the Nile River. They wanted to bring blessing to the river, to the waters of the Nile. So they buried Joseph, who was a source of blessing in it. Moshe went, stood by 
the bank of the Nile. Amar lo Yosef, Yosef. And he said, he called out, Joseph, Joseph. The time has come. The Holy One Blessed Be He said, The time of redemption has come. And the time for the fulfillment of the oath that you endured the Jewish people. If you make yourself visible, then that is good. If you do not appear, then we are free from your oath. Immediately, the ark, the metal ark, where he was buried, floated to the top and was on top of the Nile. Don't be shocked. How could it be that iron could float? As the verse states in the Book of Kings 2, that there was a person who was chopping, and the head of the axe fell, El Hamayim, to the water. Vigomer, the verse speaks about the miracles of Elisha. Aha, Adoni. And he said, Alas, my master, Hushol, and it is borrowed. This axe head, this axe was borrowed. Vayomer, Isholim, and the, the man of God said, the prophet, Elisha said, Anonafal, where did it fall? Beru, El Mokom. He sent him to the place. The, the person was chopping and lost the axe, showed Elisha where it was. He said, Eitz, so he he cut down a piece of wood and sent it over to that place. The the iron axe head floated. And this is a kavachomer a forty This is obvious, as it were. Elisha was the student of Elijah the prophet. And he, in turn, Elijah was the student of Moses. So if the verse speaks about the iron floating for Elisha, all the more so for the master of his master, of course the ark, the, the casket of Joseph, made out of heavy metal, would be able to rise. So here we have the first element of Joseph's coming up. This tremendous faith he made the oath. He made the Jewish people take this oath. He knew they were coming out. He was worthy of, on his own, of being brought up over this supernatural context. Yosef was worthy. He was worthy to be brought out of Egypt to overcome this natural, locked-in state that his body should be remaining in Egypt. He had the faith that God was going to fulfill his promise and he connected him to himself to that in his life and was worthy of this miracle. The Ben Yoda speaks out. Moshe called out. He didn't say Yosef. He didn't say Joseph. He said Joseph, Joseph. Called him twice, as it were. This is a common motif where an expression of Affection is to say the name twice and to imply alacrity, calling you now. Oh, that's in, in the simple understanding. Oh, Yuvan, Kefel, Yosef, Yosef, another interpretation. Why does it say Joseph, Joseph twice? Shekivan, the miss by Yudbeis Tirufim Shoshem Havaya. His intent was to allude to the 12 distinct formulations of the divine name 
of the Tetragrammaton. There's 12 distinct formulations of Shem Havaya, He, Vav, Yud, and He in various forms. 12, notice, 12, like the 12 tribes, 12 forms that are being alluded to over here. Sha'olin Mispar Yosef, so Yosef, the gematria of Joseph Joseph is 312. And if you divide that into 12, you'll have 26. So 26 times 12 is the gematria. The, the various permutations of the divine tetragrammaton are collectively Yosef Yosef. The, the two names of Yosef Yosef is considered like a mini patriarch in, in many texts. Is he was his, his, the continuity of his father, Yaakov, who was a patriarch. According to Midrashim, he should have had 12 sons himself. He only merited two, but each one became a separate tribe with a separate inheritance. He was partially an Av, who's like a patriarch. Yosef, Yosef, the doubling of the name Yosef that he is being called up over here, is alluding, says Ben Yoda, to the 12 different pathways of service, because he is like an Av for the Jewish nation. And perhaps that is connected to these two Bikios. We have two Bikios, meaning that there's two choppings of uh, two logs that Avram chopped for the pyre, for the, for the binding of Isaac. There's an, an element of recognition, I would say, in the, in the broad sense of, of serving God, uh, the same day we bless God through times of joy, times of adversity. We relate to Him with a, a simplicity of trust that what He is bringing to us is absolutely for our best, even if we don't perceive how that is. We don't understand it necessarily, but w whichever way, in a broader sense, things are turning out, things that are out of our control. If we have control of things, so to speak, so we need to apply ourselves. But yeah, yeah. If, it's, if it's not, and it is a Baruch Daino Emes, so it's not a Shechionu. We acknowledge. That's right. We have to kishem. Yes. Right? So we have to bless for what we perceive as good, as complete, as whole. The same sense of underlying joy that we bless over things that seem as a, as a terrible tragedy, if it is coming from God. So there, there is this a very broad duality already in the service of God, unwavering it is the service of the one, but from two different perspectives. And of course you have the 12 tribes, each one with their own variations of how to serve God, but also geared towards the service of God in tandem. They're, they're all complementary. All of the 12 tribes are complementary. So perhaps the idea of Yosef, Yosef, being like an Av, symbolizing this uh, duality, in a sense, of serving God from Toh, or from Ra, from good, or from what we perceive as evil. He was the the source of the salvation to actually get out of Egypt. Meaning Avram, of course, the, the Medrash is telling us, our patriarch Abraham, he gave us the, the fortitude to serve God in this way, to merit, to have the 12 pathways through the sea. 
But Yosef also was like an Av. Yosef, Yosef, he was the one. Ma, Ra. What did the sea perceive? That it fled. It saw the arm of Yosef. It saw the ark, Medra tells us, of Joseph. The, the, the casket of Joseph. Joseph, who also served God in, in such extremes of slave, tested in the, in the most harshest way, threatened, abused, and from the most astounding state of power, he, he served God from each just remarkably distinct manner. Yosef is the, the one that the sea felt when it saw his, his casket, we need to split. The, the waters need to split. The, the 12, as the Ben says, the 12 pathways are coming forth from the gematria of Yosef, Yosef. Moshe Rabbein, our master Moshe, is telling us, Moses, Yosef, Yosef, it's time to leave. You are instrumental. Presence. Your example and, 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 and your, your being like a patriarch in this regard to be an example for us how to, to live of Yosef, Yosef, is, is filtering down to all the 12 tribes. It impacts all of us. We are, we are now ready to go in your merit, indirectly, of course, ultimately in the merit of, of Avram, but in your merit, we will have the splitting into 12 distinct pathways in the sea, where each one, through his unique angle, is going to serve God in the manner that is entirely giving over his trust to God, not concerned with this is the, the most unpragmatic thing to do in the world. Let's let's stay in, in the dry land. Why are we walking in? That is what God said to do. We're going. We're marching straight in. Twelve paths. That we got from Yosef Yosef, we got from Avram chopping the two logs to sacrifice Isaac. That is uh Esher, uh Hosafa's beer ex- explanation on this medrash.